welcome to New PTs on the Block, where we're bridging the gap from student to clinician. I'm your co-host, Dr. Gino Tobar, and today our topic is about five numbers, 97110. For all you billing nerds out there, that's the code for therapeutic exercise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll have to see how long this podcast goes, but it, as long as we hit the 53-minute mark, we'll hopefully bill you a total of five units, so you can... Uh, four <laughs> units! Four units! One unit of manual, of course, oh, so... I, it's literally written four. <laughs> Where'd you get So... I think if you calculate it... Oh, yeah. No, right. it's four. All right, four units. Well, we just learned Alex been billing fraudulently this whole time, so... The reason why we want to talk about therapeutic exercise today is because... I would say across the board, one of the biggest problems in the PT profession is we consistently underload our patients. And we want to get into why exactly this is a problem and take you through how we've changed our ways of loading our patients from when we first started out to now. So I'm going to let you guys kick it off in terms of, as I just said, how did things change when you first got out of school to maybe how you were loading your patients, the exercises you were choosing, and then how is that different from the way you do it now? Ooh, such a big question to start off. I love it. Well, to your point of underloading, I think when I first came out of school, my mindset or or philosophy was more around just trying to get the basics down and and trying to help the the patient feel better. I was afraid of maybe not necessarily afraid, but I didn't want to make them worse with my therapy session. I was kind of maybe more timid with with pushing them. I was more afraid of making them feel worse with loading, where now I think my mindset is I am less afraid of pushing them into maybe a little bit of symptoms, and I'm, I am really more afraid of underloading them for the case of someone rehabbing from an ACL repair. Like, my biggest fear now is them not being strong enough getting back to sports rather than fear of re-injuring them during the process. So, you know, we can get into this, the specifics of it, but I think that's how my mindset has shifted. And, and, and not to cut off Tommaso, but I think you touch on a great point. I remember that so many times first starting out where a patient comes back and they're like, man, I was in a lot of pain the day after the session or the hours after the session. And in your head, you're like, oh, man, I messed up. I irritated their symptoms. But you get experience under your belt, and, and you realize that that's normal and actually desired because that yeah. means we're making the, the changes that we want to make. But I, And I think that I, I can't speak to that enough, that that's something that I felt, too, a lot as a new grad. Yeah, I agree with you. I think back then I was more conservative, like you were saying, Alex. And I don't know if that was because I didn't have the confidence to say, okay, I know I'm properly dosing or prescribing this exercise or because of the fact that we didn't have a a course in physical and PT school where we learned a lot of exercises like that wasn't very focused in our education so everything I did or or the exercises that I gave to my patients was learned during my clinicals which is not necessarily a bad thing but I didn't have the confidence coming out of school to really say okay this is the exercise that that patient needs and we're going to do two sets of 10. And now thinking back, I definitely underloaded them. And now it's completely changed where I do more of a functional task or by function, I mean, what are they trying to get back to? So some exercise that's going to get them back to playing or lifting up boxes at home or their job. So right now I do focus on really, really loading them properly and getting them as strong as I can. Because just like you, Alex, I'm afraid Mm -hmm. of them going out there and still being weak. Yeah. Still not being able to do what they what they need to do. So I definitely push them harder than I did before. And I think when we were starting our, our clinical education, I also kind of wanted to fit the mold of what I thought PT was or clams. what Yeah, clams <laughs> like oh, we're going to stay on the table <laughs> supine <laughs> 20 minutes try to hit every supine exercise I could think of. TA because- brace. <laughs> <laughs> Push into my hand. <laughs> Put on those tight jeans. No. <laughs> and then, you know, do 20 minutes of table because the PT next to me was, was doing that. 
And so I, I thought that was how the routine would go. And then, okay, maybe we'll do a little bit of squats at the end, but still it was underloaded. But, but yeah, I think now it, we definitely shifted quite a bit our philosophy. So another thing that I just, cause that brought up a good point was what's the PT doing next to me. Right. And I would just kind of throw as many exercises as I could at the patient. Like back then I said, okay, we got to, we got to get their, for example, glute med stronger. All right. What are the exercises? Clans, hip abduction, <laughs> standing hip abduction, some other variants of hip <laughs> abduction. And I would just do so many exercises that it would just kind of flood up their sheets. And now thinking about that, why'd I do so many things? I didn't keep it simple. So one of the things that again, I do now is try to really keep it simple. I know what they need. I know what exercise or what muscle or what motion needs to get stronger. And I just hammer that home. I don't flood them with a hundred exercises. Yeah. I want to jump onto what you just said, because I feel like as a new grad, you're just so overwhelmed with everything. And depending on where you're working at, you're going to have two to three patients at a time. And you're having a hard time just freaking keeping your head on straight. And kind of as you said to myself, like for me, I was like, I just need to fill this hour. Yeah. Like what exercises can I give yeah. you to fill up the hour? You're just pulling them out of your ass. You don't even know if they need them at that point. You're Double just like, leg heel raise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like this is just going to get you to that hour mark. It's so. an hour five or six units of billing. <laughs> <laughs> Depends. <laughs> um, so I can't relate to that enough of like yeah. you're just trying to really fill, fill the, the time, time when you're when you're a new grad. At least I was. Yeah. But I would say I, I definitely agree with you guys. Things have really changed for me in the same way early on. It was just doing certain movements to target a certain muscle because I felt like that specific muscle was the one that needed to be strengthened in order to make the patient feel better. And now it's just more about getting them moving, making sure they're challenged. And if they're walking away a little sore or a little bit more in pain at the end of my session, that actually makes me happy. That means... I know I loaded them enough, and we're well on our way to getting them back where they need to be. Yeah, I think at that point in time, too, I was really focused on maybe the the specific impairment that they were coming in with and trying to treat the deficits, you know, and really just like overanalyzing what movements need to be done. And to your point, you know, getting the patient moving, like the, you know, American Physical Activity Guidelines are not being met by people that are walking in the door. And so I think it's now less of what specific targeted exercises you're doing or like what corrective exercises you're doing and more just getting them moving. It doesn't need to be super specific to the point of like, oh, how many times can I fire the glute med? Like you said, Tommaso, more of like, let's get them doing those, those basic movements. Let's get them sweating a little bit. Can they... Can they do a little bit of cardio? Can they squat? Can they hinge? Can they push? Can they pull? And try to load the parameters around those movements to really get them moving. So, what are your like big four to five? How how would you de- how would you define your big four to five functional movements then? Ooh. What are they? That, that's tough. You know, obviously, we could if if we're looking at lower body, it's going to be some sort of squat, some sort of like hinging deadlift movement some sort of like probably a step up variation but it's it's probably less of those and really trying to make it specific to the person's goals but but then back to the point i was just talking about trying to formulate the squat or the stairs or the the deadlift around the patient's goals and trying to make them feel like that's that's why we're doing these exercises like they have some importance to their goals not just we're doing exercise because of yeah. exercise so it's more about graded exposure then is what you're trying yeah. to yeah yeah to what they need to do so they can get back to meeting their goals and their functional movements whatever that may be yeah yeah, yeah and, and i would say too like at least the way I, I structure some of my sessions now is as alex said making sure that you're picking movements that are salient to the patient but Maybe, maybe that's only like the first like two to three exercises. And I guess what I'm getting at is not all five exercises have to be necessarily something. 
Like if you can make it something that's going to be like the patient wants to get back to, great. But not every single patient's going to have a goal of like, yeah. I need to get back to squatting. I need to get back to doing a specific movement. When you're running out of movements that seem important, just to make sure that they're being challenged is the biggest thing. Which with whatever exercise you pick, and I don't know, maybe you guys disagree with that, or maybe it's that's confusing what I'm trying to say. I actually kind of like that point you brought up about not every patient is going to have a goal because a lot of their a lot of their goals are I just don't want to be in pain. Yeah, I just yeah. don't want to be in pain. Like, I don't want to have this knee pain all the time, right? Like, can you fix me? Yeah. Right, so then how do you change the way you're treating a patient who is very irritable or very painful versus someone who is not irritable and, you know, is ready to get in there and kick some butt? Yeah. So if I have a high irritability patient, for me, early on, it's just trying to get their pain down. That is the one time where I'm maybe going to be chasing pain levels a little bit because I'm not really going to be able to push them as far as they can be pushed if they're in excruciating pain and aren't willing to do the movement. So for me, my go-tos are trying to get them on some form of cardio equipment. Whether I usually like to go to this uh, stationary bike that we have at, at our clinic, and that usually is pretty easy for them to get their heart rate elevated while not doing too strenuous of a task. Motion is lotion, baby. Motion is lotion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's perfect. <laughs> that's perfect because after that, it's more so just what movement can they tolerate? I don't care what it is. What movement can they tolerate where I could load them up a little bit and maybe get them working just a little bit harder than they would be normally and then taking it from there? Or... Honestly, maybe I'm doing unloaded exercises. Maybe it's just trying to do range of motion exercises at joints distal or proximal to where their their pain is. And I think once they get that going, they're usually a little bit better off for the rest of the session. Yeah, it's like that that graded exposure type of, of approach that you're alluding to there. Just getting them comfortable doing these movements that they did not believe they could do before and then slowly progressing those so that we can load them over time. But that may lead into the, the question, if, if we're only working with the patients for three to six weeks, somewhere in that timeline, what response do you think they're actually getting from the exercise? Do you feel like there is actually strength improvements? Do you actually think there are motor control improvements? Do you think that there is neurophysiological improvements or, or what do you think is going on that are causing these these outcomes to be enhanced i think if we're keeping it to a painful patient you're not going to be getting those physiological changes and strength changes right away for the painful and irritable patient you're getting them moving you're doing the motion as lotion like idea of whatever is not painful get them going gradually expose them to things that they just may be fearful of. They may be afraid to go up the stairs, so you have to modify it to get them to maybe do a two-inch step, right? Two-inch step up and say, hey, you can do this, and kind of wipe out that whole fear of that motion. And then from there, you build your plan of care and how you're going to progressively load them. So I think for the painful patient, I'm not really looking for physiological changes right away. An irritable patient. I'm looking to get them feeling confident in themselves yeah. that this isn't a painful move. You shouldn't be afraid of it. But with that said, I do not think that in four weeks, you know, your two times a week for four week prescription <laughs> is going to make a physiological change. I don't think that's the case. Yeah. And I, and I just want to jump in because <clears throat> I think you touched on a great point, Tommaso, that for the patient that you just previously described, it is more so about making them feel safe. And we yeah. talked a little bit about this in our, our diagnosis episode is that that first day, especially if they're in a lot of pain and you're doing that eval and nothing sinister is popping out, assuring them that they are going to get better with PT and assuring them that nothing significantly bad is wrong with them and that things will improve. And creating that safe environment is going to help them grow and feel better when they're doing their movements. I'm going to steal from Nick Hanna here, who's one of our mentors, and I follow him on social media. I, I recommend you guys out there following him at Hanna Moves Instagram. But 
he had this really good post about patients are like plants and that you can't necessarily force a plant to grow, but you can provide them with a safe environment, give them a lot of sunlight, give them a lot of water. For us, that translate, it translates into making them feel safe, assuring that they're in a positive environment when they're in the clinic, being a good motivator and cheerleader, which we have talked about in our previous episode. And when you do all those things in combination, they are going to feel better. And as Tommaso said, regardless of whether we're making those physiological changes or not. To add in, uh, sorry, no, 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 no. that was just like, you're getting excited. Yeah. (laughs) I know, Gino, good point there. But do you think that changes when you're looking at a past, like a six week mark? So for example, in ACL, who's going to be with you upwards to like, I don't know, let's just say 25, 30 weeks. So if you have someone past the six week mark in general, are you making those physiological changes? Yeah, I, I definitely think you're going to see hypertrophy neuromuscular control, whatever you want to call that, those changes are going to actually take place. But if you, you know, properly dose them, yeah, we need that proper dosage. But throughout, I mean, ACL is kind of kind of rare because yeah. yeah, we're still going to we're still going to lack the necessary strength yeah. and, and all those changes throughout probably throughout the seven months a year we're working with them. But but yeah, they do need to be properly dosed to make those changes. And, and I think that's where a lot of practitioners are, are maybe failing and where I've failed in the past and I can still improve in a lot of these areas. I'm going to phrase it a different way. And I think this is what Tommaso is getting at. Let's take a patient who is not in as severe as pain and you're doing these exercises with yeah. them and you're thinking about loading them more appropriately. <clears throat> but let's just say in that two weeks, they start feeling better maybe like before or as those neurophysiological changes are happening. Why are they feeling better though? Is that what you were alluding to? Or did I take that a totally different way? I think I was subconsciously alluding to that. <laughs> so, be, good be, chemistry. Be, <laughs> we look into each other's eyes. We know. No, <laughs> and I think you're getting at the point of, are we hitting the placebo effect coming yeah. here oh. <laughs> because oh, even the placebo effect has neurophysiological changes that's very true yeah. yes yeah which can occur instantly 100 yeah who who wants to who wants to take because hit over every, everyone's eager to <laughs> no, I, I, I don't even know let's take it off no i really i really don't even know where to start with it i i, I do think that the placebo effect and nocebo effect as i've heard somewhere before and i and i tend to agree with is that there are essentially on a scale, like a, a continuum, and they're not as dichotomized as we say. It's not like if you do something uh, positive with the patient, that's a placebo. And if you say something maybe a little bit negative towards them, uh, a little bit fear-mongering, that's nocebo. I think there is a, a continuum, a scale, and providing the continual reassurance, the positivity, the graded exposure, they feel good. We're, we're pushing them. The camaraderie of it all. Those things are just continue to calculate on on the positive side, the placebo effect side, that contextual effect, uh, and what's now kind of coined in the research as the meaning response that the patient gets from it. And so I think that's where a lot of these these improvement in symptoms, improvement in function, stem from. Hundred percent. And this. So this is. I love this topic, and I. Th- I think about it all the time, and I've talked with Tommaso and Alex about this off the mic, but I always wonder when I get a patient that comes into a clinic and I have one eval with them, or maybe, let's, just, let's just say two sessions, right? And they already feel 50% better. Why does that happen? We know that in two sessions, I am making no neurophysiological changes, right? That is not happening. And there is a component of what we mentioned earlier, making sure they're being safe, assuring them nothing is wrong. But how much of it is just that they're in a place where they are being treated by a doctor slash healthcare provider who knows what he's doing, and they're doing exercises which are typically associated with good health and improving these different outcomes. How much of it is just that perception that exercise is good, therefore when I do it, this is going to help me, regardless yeah. of the actual physiological changes that we're making. Yeah, And, I mean, you can argue this for any 
patient who's it's just purely like a I want to get my pain down so we're kind of excluding rotator cuff repair ACL type injury where you actually need to do an extensive rehab program yeah, yeah. for months and months mm-hmm. at a time I, I think that happens with every patient correct me if you got if I'm wrong or if you guys believe different in a patient who is more irritable and more painful having all of that is going to make a quicker jump than someone who has you know less pain and truly does need to get stronger for a specific task yeah, right? right if someone right. comes in it's like i don't really have much pain as i did before because you guys are great physical therapists i mean we feel phenomenal <laughs> but now i just want to get stronger i think that that kind of placebo effect has a has a more effective and a quicker response for the for that irritable patient than someone who's not as irritable yeah yeah and there's a lot more complexities to it yeah I mean, that kind of leads down the whole pain thing but definitely the ritualistic aspect of care from the provider is, is going to be providing Huge. that positive improvement yeah, yeah. and the, this is just like a little thing that someone from my company told me you can have a patient come in and you could rub peanut butter on their affected area and if you gave them a good reason why the peanut butter was going to help them get better, that they would probably feel better, right? So, like, unless they're allergic, <laughs> then you kill them you know, and lose your license. But um, and like that, that may be a stretch, but just to kind of get the point across. But there's an ethics to the placebo. Yes, yes. you can't lie to them. You have yes, to be yes. actually doing. I mean, some. You can't say, oh, I'm going to rub your nose. <laughs> yeah. Guess what? Your back pain, gone. Yeah. There, you can't lie. But there is, there, we are walking placebos in a way. So we're alluding to the fact that there definitely is a placebo effect to exercise dosage and to the interventions that we use. But that is not why, that is why we're not <laughs> talking about kinesio tape. Or a stim, <laughs> or is it i stim or a stim? Uh, there's a know. bunch of stims now. A bunch of stims, but there is actually a physiological response to exercise greater than just the contextual factors, greater than just the placebo response, and it is definitely determined by the dosage, by the parameters of of how we use these interventions, how we use exercise. Hundred percent overload principle. So yeah, let's <laughs> let's take the patients where strength is actually an issue. So we can talk about like post-surgical ACL, rotator cuff, or maybe the patients who really aren't in a whole lot of pain, and we're just trying to get them back to prior level of function. Why then is it important to get them loaded appropriately and to get those physiological adaptations? Why now or how? I feel because those. Because that's, oh. that's also like a whole separate challenge than before and now. I think well, that's our challenge now. Right now, we're, as therapists, we're in, our, we're in our career where we're challenged. Why is it so important? Yeah. How to properly dose? Why is it important to properly dose? And how, is to, how do you actually get physiological changes? Yeah, let's do it. So You just did it. That was I just good. did it. That's it. We're done. Right? <laughs> yeah. How? how to properly dose a patient that truly needs strength improvement mm-hmm. hypertrophy i think you need to follow the overload principle i know i randomly just blurted it out but i think that's what we need to do and we need to vary our reps and sets we can't just be doing two sets of 10 that's not what drives strength gains or hypertrophy you need to change the eccentric portion of it you need to up the weight you need to also make it salient to them yeah i think that is a huge component is altering your dosage and really trying to find what you want to get at is it strength low reps high high resistance every session they come in push it push these patients we're not pushing them enough yeah and like another part of that is exercise selection because as we alluded to earlier, we did a lot of clans. We did a lot of like hip abduction. Yeah. So I think you can only overload those specific exercises so much. So I'm a little biased towards squats, but we don't necessarily need to always select squats. It could be leg press. It could be stairs. It could be some sort of, of step down, mm-hmm. some sort of lunge, some sort of split squat. But those are the types of exercises that you can really start your, your overload principle there, Tommaso. 
And so maybe I'm biased towards those types of exercises. And I don't really think we need certain, we were talking about this the other day, Gino. Like I don't really think we need certain exercises that are prerequisites for doing those types of movements. Like if a person comes in with low back pain, I don't think we need to get them to do TA contractions. Like we don't need them to, to feel their, their TA contract. We don't need them to get to do glute isometrics or need them to do clams or bird dogs before we feel they're appropriate to squat. Like we should just get them squatting, lunging, and doing those exercises that we can overload. I was gonna, I, I, I agree, but I kind of disagree with you there. Just, like a, just a little bit. Yeah. And the reason why is you have someone who is untrained this is maybe a different population. Someone who's untrained and you say, do you feel that in your glutes? Do you feel that in your butt muscle? A lot of the times they're like, I don't know what that feels like. So I may do a bridge with an isometric hold, some type of resistance band, uh, just to get them to feel their butt. It's like, this is what your butt feels like. And then I have them do, I'm more biased towards a deadlift, right? And yeah. if I would say, brace your core, keep get some type of abdominal pressure in there, okay? I don't know how to do that. Well, then let's go back to the table, fart into this blood pressure cuff or press into my <laughs> hand. That's your core. Oh, that makes sense. I do five reps. Okay, there you go. Now you know what your butt feels like. Now you know what your glutes, what your core feels like. Let's lift this kettlebell from the ground. I, I think if you're setting them up, yeah. that's good to do. Set them up for the bigger mo- movement because you're going to get more bang from your buck if you're squatting, deadlifting, lunging, step bumping. You know, <laughs> but no, that is a good point. I'm, I'm just like really curious though. Why do you want them to feel those things? Is it from a risk reduction of pain or is it for more a performance enhancing point of view? Because like if they don't feel their core during a deadlift, I don't, I don't think they do though. Do you? If they don't feel their core, yeah. Like they're... if you're saying, so let me let me answer first your your first two questions. Yeah, yeah. Is it from a pain reduction or performance? I think it's for both. Okay. Because if you take their mind away from their pain and have them focus on brace your core, brace the abs, they're gonna think about the they're gonna think about bracing their abs and not really feel the pain. But then you're still doing the exercise, so that is a pain reduction thing, in my opinion. You're just changing their mindset whole placebo effect comes back (laughs) then from a performance aspect if i want them to do a deadlift and get their hamstrings and get their glutes stronger but they feel them in their quads then they're doing the whole thing wrong they're not they're not hitting the muscles that i want to hit they're not strengthening the extra the muscles that i think is going to improve their functional mobility and their ability to lift squat or get back to their sport if you're not i so let me give you another example this is a simpler open kinetic chain, a, a sideline hip abduction. I have him do hip abduction, okay? Where are you feeling it, man? I feel it in my quad. They, they point to their, they point <laughs> to their peroneals or their, or their calf. Sometimes they point to their IT or I don't know, just random places. I'm like, you're not supposed to feel it there. Do you feel it in your butt? I don't know what that feels like. So you have to make sure they're feeling it where you're intended to feel the exercise to improve the performance later on. I'm going to jump in because I, I see b- both of what you guys are trying to say. And I think there's a valid point in each of your opinions where I think to your point, Tommaso, I have given someone a sideline hip abduction to take home. And they're like, I just feel it on my back. And it's like, well, okay. It's not necessarily that they're not using their glute me to do the, the exercise, but maybe they're doing a lot of co-contraction of the muscles that sit around the spine. Not that that's inherently bad. But maybe we want to shift the focus so that's more isolated to the glute meat. And this is, that's something I'll use for like a HEP. But I think maybe what Alex was trying to say is, aside from having them know what it feels like to have their glute firing or the TA firing, if you load them with the squat, those muscles are going to be firing regardless. Whether or not they feel it there or know that they feel it there. So at the end of the day, is it necessarily super significant that they feel it in the place where we want them to feel it or is it that they just do the movement with a decent form not to go down that rabbit hole and have them loaded appropriate and and that's what's what's more important yeah 
I don't know if that's. I think that's kind no, of the argument sense. that that was happening, and I, I would err on the side of making sure that they're loaded appropriately, just with any movement. But I do see where you're coming from too. I think some patients it, it may be important to to make sure that they are firing certain muscles appropriately because it may be a contributing factor to why they're having this pain. I guess it changes on the population. Yeah. Again, it changes on what your goal is. It definitely is a gray area. If it's someone who just wants to go home and complete yard work and pick up bags of leaves and put boxes away on shelves, and they just feel it, you're doing a deadlift and they feel it in their back, again, may not be a necessarily bad thing, but are you having them do that motion properly if they're not feeling the right muscles work? I I mean, that's... That's the gray area. So I at least want to educate them like, hey, if you're going to feel it somewhere, this is where you should be. And then I point to their butt. You know? <laughs> instead, of, instead, of, instead of your back. Because if you're coming in for back pain, right, and they say, I feel in the back, that's not, oh my gosh, freak mode, pain, pain, and they start to freak out versus you know, properly loading them, showing them, gradually increasing their ability to do it or resistance and say, hey, focus on your butt. That's where you should feel it. Right. I think it changes what they want to do. And I, and I do agree with you because I've had patients, like I like to use the bridge a lot. You guys may disagree. I think the I bridge is, is a great movement if you load it appropriately, right? And a lot of times early on, I'll have patients do it and I'll just say like, where do you feel it? And they're like, in my back. And it's like, well, damn it. You're not supposed to feel it in the back. And then when I give them a different cue to activate their glutes and I... Maybe that's to not feel the, it in their glutes. Yeah, to feel it in their glutes. They're already activated. But for me, that's a little bit better. Yeah. Because kind of as I alluded to with the sideline hip abduction, maybe they're using their back more to keep everything up versus their glutes. Yeah. Or maybe I don't know what the hell I'm talking yeah. about. Maybe, no, but- <laughs> maybe they're really. Maybe, no, but these are good, these are good but topics. If it, right. But if it's a high-level athlete, you don't care where the fuck they feel it. They, you just want to load them yeah. and get – because th- those muscles, like you said, those muscles are going to work. Yeah. You're going to be using your glutes. You're going to be using your hamstrings and quads. Just load them and get them back to their sport safely and get them as strong as you can. Yeah, but why not for the dad you know, mulching though too? Like if he feels it in his back, like I feel deadlifts in my back. Like what, why, why aren't we not like – yeah, that's good, man. You are working your back muscles. Keep it going. I guess, I guess it's after the, de- the next day where you sore. For me, personally, all over. Yeah, but if they come back and they say, my back is only sore and I don't feel it anywhere else, then, then they're doing it wrong. But, but okay, so to that point then, is it possible that the back muscles are just weak and everything else has sufficient strength and that's why they're, they're feeling their back because we loaded the, the muscles that may be part of the problem? And maybe they just never done that exercise before. Yeah, a lot of it is motor control. Like, yeah, they're just getting some good doms in their back, you know. Yeah, and we no. went off. We, we did. Okay. <laughs> That's all right. But I think it leads to something good because I very much was the person for every low back pain patient when they first came in for like the first two weeks. I was giving them posterior pelvic tilts. This is in the clinic. Posterior pelvic tilts, TA bracing, kind of like Tommaso said. Making well for me, this is this was my thought process, which it's not anymore, so don't judge me. But making sure their multifidi, I'm doing air quotes, are firing, making sure they're getting proper TA activation because that's what's going to help them feel better. When realistically, the and so I've had success with those exercises, right? They do a set of posterior pelvic tilts, and like, yeah, I feel better based on some of the stuff I read, that's probably more of just like the change in position and maybe offloading some irritable tissue and that's why they're feeling better with it. But I guess also as Alex was alluded, alluding to, I get their multifidi firing and their TA firing with the squat along with probably a hundred other muscles. So why would I basically do them a disservice and put them on a table and have them do these isolated movements that are complex and it takes 20 minutes to cue when I could say, hey, let's just go do a squat and get just a sufficient activation and loading of those muscles. Now, and I get that changes with, you know, maybe the patient's too irritable to do the squat. But I think what I'm getting at is get the patients moving. You're not overloading them Enough. majority of the time if they're laying supine on the table. I guess I want to clarify. I, I do table-based exercises 
for again you may agree with me alex to get them to feel the muscles that i want them to feel because i feel like those are the ones that i want to specifically target once they get a sense of that then i'm up then we're on the floor we're squatting we're deadlifting modifying it any way that i need to modify it but i'm doing those major movements like you said squat lift uh, deadlift if you're you know depending on what you want to do pressing motions pulling motions so i get them to feel what they want to feel and then we're going for that athlete that or that person that really needs true hypertrophy and strength gains we're firing on all cylinders and i'm varying reps and really getting them to actually feel a soreness the next time a, a, a doms the next time they come in i guess just want to clarify that we t- we talk about hitting these more functional movements we're hitting squats and deadlifts which i think are really good and i think sometimes like i had this conversation with alex that like bird dogs and dead bugs get a bad rap and jospt had a big write-up about motor control exercises and treating low back pain and are they superior to doing these squats and deadlift movements and from what i know the the conclusion was that they're really no better than any other movement we do but the other side of that was that they're not necessarily any worse so what i'm getting at is after you hit the squat after you hit the deadlift after you hit the lunge if bird dogs and dead bugs are really challenging for a patient and make them sweat and they're having a hard time holding that one knee one leg on the table while extending the other ones it's fine to do that because they're still getting challenged, right? At the end of the day, and this maybe this is going to be a good segue into RPE and reps and reserve. If they're still super fatigued with that exercise, it's still okay to do. I would argue that bird dogs, you are activating a lot of stuff. And like I said, if you already hit some of those big movements, it's okay to end the session with bird dogs once again, as long as it's really challenging for the patient to do. But once again, it's making sure that it is challenging and they're not just doing it doing 20 and being like, oh, well, I could probably do another 50. Yeah. And you, you're probably going to have to pick and choose which patients you do that with. right? I'm not going to have my high school athlete necessarily doing bird dogs on the table, but it's, it's just something to keep in mind when we're thinking of exercise selection. So are you saying that difficulty of an exercise or internal load? <laughs> oh, oh exactly what I'm saying. It's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> Oh, fuck, I don't even know where to take it. Well, well, let's start with this. How do we know that we're loading patients appropriately in the clinic? Alex, when you are treating a patient, with whichever exercise, let's just take the squat, it's, it's, it's easiest. How do you know that you put the right weight on there with the right prescription of sets and reps? So what I've been doing a lot of is tracking the patient's subjective difficulty of the movement or also known as the internal load of the exercise. So the external load would be quantified as like the amount on the bar, the number of reps, sets you're doing, the patient is doing. And a lot of times with that, at least early on, I was, it was kind of guess and check. I was just having my eye on them, seeing the difficulty of the exercise. Were they struggling with the movement? Was there technique breakdown? whether that's good or bad. And then I was asking them, hey, how hard was that? And, and it's really hard to put into language the difficulty of an exercise without utilizing some of these other methods. So what I've been doing now a, lo- a lot of when dosing exercise is using RPE or rating of perceived exertion or repetitions in reserve, also known as RIR. So it all depends on the stage, again, that the person or the athlete is in and whether we're trying to build strength or power and this and that. So I I get it's pretty complex. But typically, I want the patient to be working out within like a 6 to 8 RPE range. On what scale? 0 to 10? 0 to 10. 0 to 10, yeah. 6 out of 10 difficulty to 8 out of 10 difficulty. And... It's just simply that. I just ask them, how hard was that exercise for you? Zero to 10. 10. 10 meaning you could not do another rep. And that gives me some sort of quantifiable measurement subjectively on how hard that exercise was for them. And there's a lot of things that can go into 
determining that difficulty, whether they were having a good day at school, whether they had final exams that day, whether they just played that New Jersey Drake song, or <laughs> they, they just got a whole bunch of pre-workout in their system. So there's a lot of things that can go on to determine how hard that exercise is for them. But then also utilizing the repetitions in, in reserve is another good way because some people I found have had a difficulty understanding correctly what an actual eight out of 10 feels like difficulty wise. Mm -hmm. And so utilizing repetitions in reserve, I also say it as if they complete a bench press, dumbbell bench press, how many reps did they have left in the tank? So if I program a three RIR for them, that means that they have three repetitions in the tank or three repetitions left in the reserve. So if 15 was their max that they could possibly do, they're stopping at, at 12 there. And that also gives me some idea of internal load and I can push them closer to failure more accurately. Alex, I, I love that. That was a perfect explanation. And oh, you're too kind. <laughs> Alex kind of turned me on to this. Just to that. Just, just to that. <laughs> he turns me on in general, but then he turned me on to that about... I was say like a month or two ago, and I went to my clinic. I printed. You could find these. What are they called? Like a the board. No. Yeah. <laughs> you could find these charts. That was the word I was looking for. Everyone. Yes, I'm a doctor. You could find these charts online. It's literally an RPE to reps and reserve correlation, and I printed out like five of them. Put them all over my clinic near the squat rack, near the cable machine. And once I get the patients to that stage, which is maybe something you could talk about is like when you really start utilizing this after I'm done talking everyone's ear off, I put them all around my clinic and I will bring the patients over and explain to them exactly how you did. And I think that's what most clinicians should be striving to do is have the patients understand why you're doing this. I tell them, we're making sure you're loaded appropriately, not because I'm being mean because sometimes patients are like, oh, this is too heavy. It's like, no, you can do it, and we need to do it to make these physiological adaptations. Yeah. And that's what's going to drive you getting better. So I would really advise or, or challenge all clinicians out there to print out that sheet, put it up at your clinic, and start using that with your patients. And I, and I think you'll see better outcomes really fast. I think that is a very useful a way to approach it. And I didn't start off using it with my patients. I actually started using it with some of my clients that I coach. More of the RIRs. And, and I think that's just easier way to conceptualize it in someone's, someone's brain or, the, you know, how many, you, I would typically ask them if it's a squat or bench press, whatever the exercise is, how many reps could you have done, right? Versus tell me on a zero to 10 scale, zero to 10 scale, how hard is that? They have a tough time kind of, Taking that number or deciding that. So it, that RIR is more definitive. It's yeah. easier to say, I think I could have done two more reps. All right. That can, that, as yeah. you explained, that will correlate to the RPE in a way. So I use that now with my patients, and it's been awesome. It has really helped me really decide how to progress or if I am dosing them properly. And I just want to say that when you're going through that process it may take like 15 minutes yeah when, I, when i'm doing this for my patients i pick a weight that i think is a good one to start and i'll say do as many reps as you can and if they do 20 i'm like all right that was way too yeah, light go up, we'll yeah. go down the rack and i keep on doing that until they're like hitting they're stopping at 10 and then i'm like how many more could you have done they say two i'm like okay that's perfect now I want you to do three sets of whatever at this weight. Yeah. So it's okay if you're having them do six sets altogether because likely those first three sets, you're still kind of testing the waters, really just getting them warmed up. Making sure they're doing X amount of working sets afterwards is going to be what's important. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think the cost of, of not going close to fatigue is, is so much worse than the, than the cost of overloading them. Does that make any sense? I don't even know. Uh, of, un of, under, of, under of underloading, you mean? Of underloading, under yeah. 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 So, yeah, Tommaso likes to use RIR, you said? Yeah, and then it. Yeah, and then RPE, you could also use that. What I've been using that is 
also to quantify the whole session as a whole. So just how difficulty was this session today? So if you're working with people undergoing their ACL repair protocol and each session you're hitting a nine out of 10, nine out of 10, like just the whole session, you know, that might be a little bit too much over the, the next few weeks. So utilizing that also as the whole session and not just the exercise it itself might be a way to add some periodization of your programming because you do want some fluctuation. You don't want to be going balls to the wall every time with the patient. So using RPE for a session might be helpful too. I love that. No, I like I like at the end of the session asking, but what's your RPE? What about those that use the Borg? I know I randomly blurted it out, but the Borg scale, six to 20, where do you want them to be? If there are clinicians out there who feel more comfortable using that, where would you want them to be? I would say I'd want them to be using the modified RPE scale. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I, uh, I guess I've never really so used do you, it. I just moderate, it. it's still around that like 15. Probably. 13, 13 to 15, where... In other words, of put, putting it is you can you know you can talk but you can't sing. You're still having a little bit of difficulty talking. You can't have a full conversation. You can't sing if you're doing the exercises. Okay, yeah. I think 13 to 15 on that is what I would recommend. But using a zero to 10 scale is easier. So if you are using the board, try to go to a modified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never used it, but that's that's a good thought. And, and two things I want to say that. If you are loading these patients appropriately, you are doing like four to five exercises with them, at least at least in, in my experience. Yeah. Like I, when I'm taking, like if I'm loading squat and deadlift appropriately, it's like 30 to 40 minutes have gone by by the time those two exercises are, are done. Yeah. And then I could work on accessory yeah. movements. So it, it really, it, while it may seem like more work to do, you're... It's, it's really not you're, you're yeah. like having to come up with less for the patient to work on which for me is is a bonus i'm not racking my head with these bogus exercises right. think of just like i said to, to fill the hour that's a good point because if you see if you see the patient if you're doing kettlebell squats and you see the patient squatting and they, they hit their one set of eight and they're 30 seconds later they grab the kettlebell and start squatting again like you know that is too light they need to be resting it should be challenging where they want to rest for a couple minutes, two, three minutes, uh, you know, at least some, some showing up to like five minutes if we're really going RPE eight or nine on the exercise intensity scale. So I think looking at rest periods may also be a good way to see if they are actually utilizing the RPE, RIR scales appropriately. And then also adding some variations to the exercise in of itself can be a way to increase the RPE of the exercise without uh, needing to change the external load significantly, like adding a pause at the bottom, adding different tempos, like a five second eccentric, a pause at the bottom, three sec second concentric. Adding some little tweaks like that could be a way to increase the internal load of the exercise without needing to change the external load and then adding variability to movements. Yeah. I, th I think that's great and I think well I was going to say like do you think you need to do that for or I should ask are you doing that for every single exercise are you using RP for every exercise like I'm sorry RIR or are there like maybe like two exercises at the end where you're, you're not as concerned that they're getting there or is it every exercise just curious um because I, I would think like it's it's way more important for like your big movements yeah, yeah. and then like maybe if you're working on something like heel taps maybe you're like uh, I, I would still say it's important though to make sure they're getting challenged it's I mean yeah it's a good question it really depends on the patient population their goals obviously yeah. but not every single exercise probably the, the bigger multi-joint exercises but I also program to fatigue in there with with yeah. a lot of exercises like honestly I'll write plank to fatigue because I know a lot of the, the adolescent, like the high school kids, they're not actually going to be going. They're, it's rare that they're actually like going yeah. close to fatigue for every single exercise. So I'll write it in there just so that they try to push themselves. Or I'll have like, you know, if, if we're doing like a push-pull circuit, I'll just say eight minutes on the clock, as many reps as possible. Something like that is a, it'll, is a little bit different way to program it without using RPE, RIR, but also pushes them close to fatigue. 
Yeah, I think I, I do something very similar where I, I primarily use these with my big lifts, but you hit on a point where it depends on the patient and their goals. So if some, one of my patients is a long-distance runner, I most likely will have them doing as many reps as possible in a 10-minute span or have them doing high repetitions or just really boosting up the amount of sets, right? You want to get that volume up and that intensity and more so those 20 to 30 reps. Maybe two sets of 20 to 30 reps, last two, burn yourself out. I'm tailoring my treatment now to their goals versus like, hey, two sets of 10 <laughs> for everything, right? Yeah. And that, that brings up kind of a little bit of a wrap up here is back then when we started, that was one of our challenges is deciding which exercises filling up the hour, picking the most important exercises and really struggling to like keep it simple. Now I feel like our challenge is trying to sort out all our knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 but really <laughs> now our challenge is to really, I, I, at least for me, is to grow my toolbox variations in the session itself, rep sets, how I program the session, and getting them to really meet their goals with overall goal of being as strong as they personally can. So that's, I think, kind of a wrap-up of how I've progressed from then to now. Yeah, and, and I think I, I just want to throw in a few things in there that, that I think are valuable. And, and we may have talked about this, but Alex alluded to this or maybe just said it and I wasn't paying attention. When you're using this RPE reps and reserve, you're maybe not doing it in the first couple weeks. Or, or like it's okay to be more generalized with things in the first couple of weeks because most of these patients are coming in, having exercise in X amount of years. So to then push them to eight out of 10 RPE in like the first two weeks, they're probably not gonna wanna come back to you. So I think it, it's, it's okay to, to be a little bit more general with the exercises early on, as long as they're still being challenged in some way. Yeah. Because I don't know, just anecdotally, you give patients three sets of 10 of squats and like I know they could do more but then they come back in, they're like, oh, I couldn't walk for three days. And right. it's like, well, yeah, we, we still have to make just some general adaptations first. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. As much as I hate to say it, I do feel like it's kind of like whose line is it anyway? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like early on, sometimes the reps and sets don't really matter. You know, yeah. it's like where the points don't matter in that game show. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just Dude, like great whose reference. line is it anyway? Yeah. Dude, I missed that show. That was a great show. Drew Carey. Um, it, yeah, it just is like getting them moving, getting them to have some sort of load through them, to load the joint, to load the tissues, and, and to build that over time. But I agree. I don't think early on it's as important. But then as they, as they move on through it, getting more precise. That's a challenge for us now. Yeah. Is not to completely kill our, yeah, our patients. It is. You're right. It is a challenge. Because right. we know so much, we know how to do it. Dude, I, I think we honestly have him come back and say I've been sore for three four days that's not good dude I, I had this just quick story I had this she's like 56 years old I've only she's total knee I'm treating her three times a week it was it was a revision she came in pretty good shape but by the fourth week I was having to do 50 pound dumbbell squats and I was like do as many as you can and then like I was kind of thinking back like fuck this is only my fourth week treating her like Maybe I shouldn't have gone that far, but I mean, she's doing great with it, but I think sometimes I get a little bit overeager of like, (laughs) we're going balls to the wall for like first couple weeks and it's like, well, damn, maybe I should have done a little bit more of a initiation phase or that's awesome, man. I think that's a point where we need that strength, but yeah. Yeah. But that is one of the issues and I think that's great. I think you're awesome that you're pushing, but that's an issue in the profession itself is we're not pushing ourselves, pushing our patients as hard as they need to be pushed. So even though you did that, you might have been like ah, a little bit nervous about it. You did a, you provided her with a phenomenal service to really get those physiological physiological changes that she needs and get her as strong as possible. Yeah, that might have been something like she would have never thought in her life she was capable of doing. Yeah. And you inspired her to know that she, she can do this. You guys, you're a great therapist, man. A few other things I want I want to touch on because these are like little things that I've been exposed to. It's okay to do the same exercises for weeks in a row. Let me repeat that. 
it's okay to do the same exercises for weeks in a row. When I go to the gym, when I'm scheduling my training routine, I will do the same routine for four weeks in a row and I'm still getting adaptations. Maybe I mix up the sets and reps a little bit, but you don't necessarily have to have a new exercise every time the patient comes in. Once again, if they're getting a very good challenge from the four or, four or five exercises you're doing every single week, that's okay to keep it going. You, it doesn't have to be different. Maybe after the four week mark, you change it up a little bit, but it's okay to use the same exercises for a couple weeks at a time. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I, I think so. I like your point of varying reps and sets. Yeah, you know, changing changing that up. But totally, if they're if they're getting positive results from it, keep a good thing going. Yeah. Another thing that I th- I noticed this, or I used to notice this, is like patients would come up to me and be like, "Let me guess, three sets of twelve. Let me guess, three sets of 15. No. If, if your patients are saying that to you. That probably means you're in a little bit of a rut and using the same thing over and over. So kind of take that as a sign of, hey, maybe I need to change things up. Yeah. Maybe I need to listen to Gino, Alex, and Tommaso and start <laughs> using the, uh, the RPE, uh, RIR. And here's one more tidbit I want to hit you with. Hit him! This didn't come from me. This came from a guy within my company, Ty Meyer. Shout out. Give me a, a raise. Um, <laughs> for a patient who's in a lot of pain, who's maybe in like a, the subacute phase, maybe the chronic phase, every painful movement that you do that is underloaded may be contributing to the central sensitization process. Ooh. So to kind of draw that out, if we're doing these movements, not loading them appropriately, not getting that BDNF release, Ooh. not making those physiological Damn. adaptations, we may be adding to that central sensitization process. Something to leave you to, to ponder on wow. for the rest of your day. I like, just to tie back real quick, I like that you said if you're doing the same exercises for an extended period of time, don't be discouraged by that. As long as you, you know, you're asking yourself, why am I doing this? And you can answer that properly and, and get the most out of what, what you need for your patients, I think you're doing a great job. You don't need to, you don't need to be variable. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Unless you're doing table exercises the same every time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll change that. <laughs> double, leg, double leg heel raises. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that, that we're going to wrap things up after that. Any last comments, quips? Just remember, yellow TheraBand never changed anyone's life. <laughs> That's right. That is true. It did change mine, though. Um, I think take-home points, though, for today's episode are make sure you're loading the patient appropriately. Start using some some way. It doesn't necessarily have to be the RPE, RIR that we talked about, even though I do think that's a great way to do it. But making sure that you can measure the intensity of your exercise session and then each exercise within the session. And creativity doesn't mean it's... Hit it. Yeah. Yeah, hit it. You got yeah. it. Oh, God, I got excited. <laughs> Just because an exercise is creative or different, it doesn't mean it's the best exercise. That's right. Tell us some uh, some other ways of getting this. You've been saying Nick Hanna and kind of referring to him a lot. What other avenues of getting some of this information can our listeners? Yeah, so I don't want to take the credit from this. I should actually probably have Alex say it because Alex basically tells everyone for me to follow, <laughs> and then I just follow it. and then Well, I just follow other people that are following <laughs> good things. So some of the people who Alex have told me to follow – are Nick Hanna, he's at Hanna Moves on Instagram, Barbell Medicine, they have a great pain and rehab podcast, as well as just like a general lifting. General health, yeah. lifting, exercise, all that good stuff. Yeah. Clinical athlete. Clinical yeah. athlete. Shout out Zach Gabor at Level Up Initiative. Yeah. Staff too. And but, then listen to us. Yeah, and listen to us. But yeah, just to repeat, Level Up Initiative, Clinical Athlete, Barbell Medicine, Nick Hanna, Hanna Moves. These are all guys who, who have a big influence on us, and you should really go ahead and check them out on Instagram, and they all have podcasts, too. We did not get a pay cut from them. I, we didn't I even, yeah, this is free advertising. We just love them that much <laughs> that we feel free to promote them. Wait, why would we get a pay cut from them? Or a pay cut? <laughs> a stipend, or what am I looking for? Uh, free advertising. It's yeah. free advertising. Yeah. So that wraps up today's session. We hope to see you guys next week. No, next month. 
Which will be the last one. We, no. No. <laughs> Dude, you jinxed us! You jinxed us! Oh my gosh. Oh, sorry. See you guys. Thank you.